welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode eight and part one of episode nine of the story of Minglan or Zhifo Zhifo Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases said in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com if you have any questions. For the first part of the podcast, we will always do an episode recap, and then we go on to discuss any interesting historical references or explain some Chinese traditions from the Song Dynasty mentioned in the episode. And finally, we will end with any book differences or discussions that we would like to share. Let's get started with the recap. For this podcast episode, we will break out our recap into two and a half topics that we would like to discuss. The half topic is around Qi Hong, the young duke and his mother. We finally meet her and see that she is incredibly strict and also sharp. Qi Hong's mother is Ping Ning Junzhu, or Princess Ping Ning. In her very first entrance in the episode, she is seen stopping a maid who has her hair down and is evidently trying to win the young duke's attention. The princess harshly calls out this maid and has her sold from the estate. The princess then declares to the rest of the maids that they are not to try to tempt the young duke. After this stern lecture, she goes to visit her son who is daydreaming. She asks what he's thinking about, but he deflects the question and instead requests that she visit the Sheng family, specifically Grandma Sheng. She needs to thank them for including him in their academy. Immediately, the princess can feel something is out of the ordinary. Why would her son be so adamant about her visiting the Sheng family? He usually never likes or cares about these types of functions. She leaves without accepting this proposal to visit the Sheng family, but she has a hunch. He is interested in one of the Sheng girls. That has to be what he's daydreaming about. Without skipping a beat, she summons her son's servant, Fu Wei, and directly questions if her son has spoken to any of the Sheng daughters. Fu Wei's responses is littered in half-truths because he, of course, wants to protect his master. He shares that his master doesn't speak to any of the girls out of turn, and that these ladies are currently learning manners from a maid from the palace. He is dismissed, but... Princess Pingning is not fooled. She knows he is lying about something, but given the focus on her son's studies, she's not willing to rock the boat for now as long as nothing too egregiously out of line happens. In this first introduction, we see how powerful and astute this princess is. She has an iron-like grip on her household. No one is to distract her son and no one unworthy is to become her formal daughter-in-law. On one hand, it makes sense. Her family is incredibly wealthy and powerful. We'll talk about her background more later in this episode, but 
it makes sense. Her son's future wife must also be of similar stock. No maid can match what is needed in a wife of the future duke. This mother also picks up on everything. With just a few sentences, she can see that her son is infatuated with someone and that her son's servant is lying about his interest. In a few short scenes, we are warned that this mother is one tough cookie. She will be very difficult to please. Okay, on to the heavier topic of these two episodes. And that is Gu Tingye's backstory. Gu Tingye is, as we've mentioned, the second son of the Marquis of Ningyuan. This is important context for the drama and the infighting, backstabbing that happens in this family. In these two episodes, he has brought his nanny back from his old home to the capital in order to care for his mistress and two young children. These few years, this young man has been studying elsewhere, and it was outside the city that he met this woman and had a family. The Marquis' household, primarily Gu Tingye's older brother and stepmother, want to find where this concubine and children are. Not because they want to take care of the children, but rather to eliminate Gu Tingye. This concubine is not of noble birth and was previously, you could say, a singer, which had very negative connotations. This type of woman cannot be allowed to step into the Marquis' household. Therefore, Gu Tingye brought his nanny back from Yangzhou to take care of this family in the outskirts of the city. After arriving, this nanny, Chang Momo, gives a full recount of how Gu Tingye's mother came to marry into nobility. It's very odd because Gu Tingye's mother is actually from a merchant family. We'll explain this a little bit more at the end of the episode, but merchant families were seen as lower class and generally did not marry into the aristocracy. But as we saw in the first two episodes, Gu Tingye's mother's side of the family was extremely wealthy and managed the salt business. Thus, he currently has both wealth and title. So, what happened? Gu Tingye's father, Gu Yankai, was already married with a wife. Then why did he marry Gu Tingye's mother? Apparently, the first wife died and the older marquis and his wife, so Gu Tingye's paternal grandfather and grandmother, personally came to Yangzhou to ask for this marriage with the Bai family which is Gu Tingye's mother's family. Given this grand honor and the rumors that Gu Tingye's father is actually a respectable man, unlike his brothers, the Bai family agreed. Gu Tingye's mother, with a very respectable dowry, married into nobility as the main wife. However, upon arriving, did she realize something was amiss? Her new husband, Gu Yankai, humiliated her by not consummating the marriage for several months. He was rude to her, and the relationship soured even further after Gu Tingye's birth. That's really quite shocking, because why wouldn't you be happy with a birth of a new son, right? It wasn't until several years later that Gu Tingye's mother overhear a twisted version of the truth. She, heavily pregnant, around eight months at this point, heard 
that the only reason she was married into the family was because the Marquis' household had major debts and that it was she who killed the former wife. Her dowry was to be used to repay those debts. This was quite a shock, and it was something that she overheard one woman telling the eldest son, Hu Tingyu. Angrily, Hu Tingyu's mother goes to confront her husband. Not only was she used for her dowry, but her husband's first wife was also first divorced in order for there to be an opportunity to marry this merchant family's daughter for that money. The first wife died of illness after these two remarried. It was not as the story was told that the wife had already died and therefore needed a replacement. Unable to handle the truth, Hu Tingye's mother tries to storm off. In the rush of emotions, this eight-month pregnant woman passes away with the child. A year later, Hu Tingye's father marries his original wife's younger sister, Hu Tingye's current stepmother. Hu Tingye is heartbroken at this revelation. I mean, who wouldn't? It's terrible to see how badly the Marquis family tricked the Bai family. They traded aristocracy for money in order to repay debts. Once the money was in hand, they did not deign to treat the Bai family well. It's also why Gu Tingye was so eager to help Minglan when she was looking for a doctor for her mother. Both of them had mothers pass away due to childbirth. And who was that woman saying that Gu Tingye's mother killed the first wife? If you take a close look, it is actually the current stepmother to Gu Tingye. She was telling his older brother, Hu Tingyu, to always hate Hu Tingye and his mother because those two were the culprits for his mother's death. What a devious woman. We'll certainly see more of her, but now we understand why no one in the Gu family really cares for Gu Tingye. It's a combination of lies, the fact that Gu Tingye's mother is from the merchant class, and the sheer shamelessness of the Gu family for using a young woman for her money. The other component of Gu Tingye's story in these two episodes is the introduction of his concubine, Man Yang, and their two young children. He has asked Chang Momo to take care of these three. Immediately, you can tell that Chang Momo is not a fan of Man Yang. Man Yang, in turn, seems nice on the surface, but is actually rather disrespectful to Chang Momo. Hu Tingye can't see through this facade for now, but this will certainly bubble up in the future. Now that we are privy to Gu Tingye's backstory, let's move on to the more interesting topic of the Sheng daughters taking class with Kong Mo Mo. If you recall in episodes 6 and 7, the Sheng daughters made the blunder of falling into the main hall in company of guests, particularly males not from the Sheng family. This was quite the mistake, and so fifth daughter Rulan and sixth daughter Minglan were punished to kneeling in the ancestral shrine to repent their actions. Crafty and manipulative fourth daughter Mulan was able to escape punishment. In order to save Rulan and Minglan from further punishment, Grandma Sheng came up with this grand idea to ask her old friend Kong Momo to come teach these two young ladies manners and various arts. Kong Momo is an experienced maid from the palace. 
Muamua is a respectful term for a maid who is older and more knowledgeable. Generally, they're also of a higher position. This woman has taught numerous women in the palace, ranging from all sorts of ranks and nobility, and this is a great honor for the Sheng daughters to be taught. But before the girls even start their classes, the concubine Lin or Lin Xiangyang cannot accept that her daughter is being left out of these lessons. But does she have a say here? Her daughter was able to escape punishment from the earlier fiasco after all. The whole reason Wulan and Minglan are taking lessons is because they need to be taught manners. Lin Xiangyang, though, does not see it that way. And technically, she's right. Kong Muomua has a wealth of knowledge. It would be a missed opportunity for her daughter if she doesn't take classes as well. So, Lin Xiangyang does what Lin Xiangyang does best. Seduce her husband with sweet talk into trying to get her daughter into this class. This part is rather funny. Master Sheng, Sheng Hong, first sheepishly goes to ask Grandma Sheng to see if Mo Lan can get into this class. Grandma Sheng is not to be trifled with. She knows that Lin Xiangyang is the one behind this request and does not want to get involved. She also knows that these matters are technically the decision of the wife of the family. Why did Master Sheng go over his wife and go directly to ask Grandma Sheng. Why, obviously, it's because he knows that his wife won't agree. He was hoping Grandma Sheng would force his wife into this. But, oh no. Grandma Sheng knows this is not something she wants to get involved in. Also, I feel like she's definitely siding with Madame Wang or Wang Danyang in this. And so, Master Sheng has no other choice but to ask his wife who, as we expected, does not want Molan in the class. But seriously, Master Sheng, you play favorites way too much. It is so obvious you care more about Molan than you do Rulan and Minglan. In this instance, I'm also team Wang Danyangzi. Like, excuse you, when you were punishing Rulan and Minglan, you didn't want Molan to be hurt. And now when there is a proper made to come teach etiquette to your daughters, um, you expect Molan to be a part of that too? In what world is this? This heated exchange is overheard by Kong Momo, who says, it's okay, I'll take Molan as a student, and so the three ladies start taking classes. Of course, Wang Danyangzi is livid, and you have the usual banter between the three sisters. Molan tries to be better than everyone else, sitting farther up in the room and presenting Komomo with a book of her poems. But Komomo is not impressed and kindly rebukes Mulan. Rulan is very happy about what just happened. And we'll see later in this episode and the next episode that Komomo sets quite a few things straight. That night, Komomo and Grandma Sheng are talking together drinking tea. I love this scene from these two old friends. It's clear that they met each other during the palace while Grandma Sheng was growing up. That's why they have such a close relationship. Kong Wong in just a few lessons can see that Ming Lan is the smartest sister of the bunch. 
Minglen takes notes, whereas her sisters don't bother. Grandma Sheng tries to play this off that Minglen is actually dumb with poor memory. That's why she needs to take the notes. Grandma Sheng and Kong Momo get into a bit of a disagreement because Kong Momo does not understand why Grandma Sheng belittles Minglan so much, even though it is clear she is the smartest. I love that Kong Momo is able to pick this up so quickly. Kong Momo, in her frustration, even almost ups and leaves. She's like, why don't you teach Minglan and why don't you care for your granddaughter? Only at this point does Grandma Sheng explain the truth. She cannot be too favorable to Minglan because her sisters will see that she is a threat and potentially cause Minglan harm. It's not that Grandma Sheng does not care for Minglan, but it's that they do have to hide and tolerate a lot in order to not be bullied by the rest of the family. The only person in this family who actually cares for Minglan is her grandmother, and her grandmother is only supported by Minglan. Grandma Sheng is not the birth mother of Master Sheng, so there's always this type of divide between them. After hearing this, Kong Momo finally understands the situation in the family. She hastily says that, you know what, she hasn't had enough tea here, so even if Grandma Sheng tried to kick her out, but she wouldn't want to leave, she has to finish the tea. And with that, Kong Momo stays. Now, with the knowledge that even if Minglan is the smartest, she must not be praised in front of her sisters for her intelligence. Let's stop there for this episode discussion recap. The skills that Komoma teaches are steeped in culture, so we'll go through them together in the next episode for this podcast. Let's discuss some of the historical information we've gleaned from this episode and do some explanation of the key characters that we meet. Thanks, Karen. Let's first talk about Ping Ning Junzhu. She is the mother of the young duke Qi Hong. Junzhu in Chinese, depending on the era, is a title usually granted to daughters of princes or brothers of the emperor. In English, she would still be called a princess. But in Chinese, there is a distinction between daughters of the emperor, who are called gongzhu, and other royal relations. Pining Junzhu here isn't actually royal. Her father was actually the Marquis of Xiangyang, or Xiangyanghou. However, she grew up in the palace in her youth. The empress named her as her goddaughter, and hence the title of Pining Junzhu was bestowed on her by the emperor. Pingning Junzhu grew up and married the Duke of Qi, or Qi Hong's father. Over the years, she held a tight grip on the household. She dismissed the concubines that the Duke of Qi originally had, and has forbade any other concubine from entering the household. As such, her son Qi Hong is the sole heir to the title for the Duke of Qi, and that makes him one of the most eligible bachelors in the empire. As we saw with her handling of the maid, the princess watches her son like a hawk. 
ready to dismiss anyone who even thinks of tempting the young man. She will play an important role in her son's life. Not all of her decisions will be good. We'll see the aftermath of those decisions. Next, let's analyze the tragedy that is the marriage between Gu Tingye's father and mother, and specifically his mother's background from a merchant class. At a high level, in China, there were four occupations for men. Shi, Nong, Gong, Shang, or or one, Shi means the gentry scholars. Two, Nong means the peasant farmers. Three, means Gong or the artisans. And finally, Shang means the merchants. The first mention of the four occupations was in the philosophical text called Guanzi, compiled during the War Estates period over 2,000 years ago, and named after the philosopher Guan Zhong, who lived in the 7th century BCE. Now, these aren't necessarily castes per se, as people could move between the four occupations in China. It also wasn't necessarily hereditary, nor a definite measure of socioeconomic status. But as we will see in this drama, the family occupations often define a family for generations. The two occupations we'll focus on here is shi or gentry and shang or merchant. The gentry during the Song Dynasty includes the aristocracy, scholars, and bureaucrats. With the expansion of the civil service exams, more and more bureaucrats became part of this class. The Song Dynasty in particular placed heavy emphasis on this class. Now in China, merchants were often viewed with suspicion and placed at the bottom of the four occupations. Similar to ancient Greece and Roman cultures, the Chinese disapproved of this class because they viewed merchants as profiteering from others' labor. Agriculture was the bedrock of Chinese civilization, and emperors often prioritized the farmer occupation over the merchants. In the story, the Gu family is a member of the Shi, or gentry occupation, as part of the aristocracy. This is the same with the Qi family. Gu Tingye's mother, the Bai family, are strictly from the merchant class. They were salt merchants and extremely wealthy. The Sheng family is now a member of the Shi or gentry occupation because Sheng Hong is a bureaucrat, as was his father before him. However, the broader Sheng clan has roots in the merchant or Shang occupation, which, as we'll see later, means that it is actually kind of hard to find respectable marriages despite their wealth. For many in the gentry class, or gentry occupation, the existence of the merchant occupation always proved to be a dilemma. They needed their money, but they didn't want to be associated with them. The Marquis of Ningyuan, or the Gu family, did not manage their finances well and fell into heavy debt. Wu Tingye's paternal grandparents needed to find a way to settle these debts. Reputation was of utmost importance to any family. The last thing the Gu family wanted was for their destitute position to be known to the world. Not only would they potentially lose their aristocratic status, be forced to sell land, but, I guess more importantly, they would be the laughingstock of the capital. 
the horror. What better way to fix this problem than to use a future daughter-in-law's dowry to settle all of these debts? No one would know. If you can't tell, that was being sarcastic. This is quite despicable. If this was normal times, there would be no way that the son of a marquis and the future marquis would marry a woman of such a quote-unquote lowly status. Her dowry, as mentioned in the drama, was around 500,000 tails of silver. Now, I don't think there's a really good accurate uh, conversion to current dollar amounts for how much this is, but you can imagine 500,000 of anything must be a huge sum of money. The Marquis family 100% manipulated the Bai family into believing that this marriage will be beneficial for both families. Sure, the Bai family can now boast a Marquis as a son-in-law, but at what cost? A dead daughter, one whose reputation is smeared by vile rumors, and no more dowry. I'd be as pissed as Gu Tingye if I found out the truth. What I do find interesting, though, is that there was one really brief scene where Gu Tingye's father, Gu Yankai, is seen holding the um, kind of like the tablet where you put your loved one or family member's name on um, as part of a shrine for a deceased. He was holding the tablet of his deceased first wife. What this means is he really loved her and did not care too much for this new bi family member, this bi woman that he just married. On one hand, I kind of understand why he was so upset and cold with the bi family. On the other hand, you can see that he actually had really strong uh, emotional connection to his first wife. Otherwise, why would he then marry his first wife's younger sister as the main wife after this bi woman died? Regardless, what he did was despicable. Yes, this entire Marquis family, Gu family, is terrible. And the only people who actually cared for Gu Tingye, as we see now, is this Chang Woma, this nanny who's telling him the truth, and his maternal grandfather who gave him all this money after he died. Now, in episode 9, we are introduced to Manyang, the mother of Gu Tingye's two children. She comes from a very lowly status as a singer, as we've mentioned before. And let us pay attention to this woman throughout the show. She is cunning and manipulative, especially towards Gu Tingye. As a woman, Nanny Chang or Chang Momo sees right through her schemes and tries to point them out to Gu Tingye. However, as a man, he's oblivious to her actions because, to be fair, Man Yang puts up a very good show. Now, let me turn my attention towards Gu Tingye. At this point, we've learned of his father and mother's tragic marriage and, well, the issue of money that contributed to it. However, for me, I will just come out and say it, Gu Tingye at this point is a cad. He pretends to be a respectable man, but he's not. He has already frequented brothels and is now dismissing his academics for petty family matters. As an unmarried man, he already has two children with another woman. Man Yang isn't even considered a concubine like Lin Xiangyang. She is merely a wai shi, or the literal translation is an outside woman. 
This is extremely improper behavior for a member of the nobility. As other family members have discussed, who will marry him now? He has no intention of also making Manyang his wife, only a concubine. He is a product of his upbringing, in which I mean without proper upbringing, because no one taught him what to do. As a man in Imperial China, having women was not uncommon, but having children before being married is considered to be improper and lowers the prospects for marriage. Wu Tingye also tries to portray himself as a gallant man because in his eyes, he saved Manyang and also wants to care for her because he believes Manyang also cares for him. Buddy, open your eyes. You're the son of a marquis. If she truly loved you, she would not have behaved so disrespectfully to Chang Momo. She is up to something. For me, and I also felt this when I was reading the book, sure, Gu Tingye has family issues, but currently he's also creating a bunch of issues for himself. Finally, let's talk about book differences. The book doesn't go into detail about Manyang's stay with Chang Momo. It is just briefly referenced. So in the drama, we'll get a lot more details of uh, their interactions. As for Kong Momo, she actually comes to the Sheng family earlier in the book, primarily to teach manners and etiquette to Hua Lan. This is actually in preparation for her marriage. In the drama, Hua Lan has already left. The other three girls were just there to learn etiquette as support for Hua Lan. So it wasn't that Nanny Kong or Kong Momo came after the two girls were punished. She came at the request of Grandma Sheng to actually teach manners to Hua Lan. Also, so far in the drama, we see Minglan constantly napping. And this is actually pretty true to the book. She loves to nap. She also decided when she was young to focus on sewing because in her mind, as a time traveler, if everything fell apart, she at least had one actual skill to make a living. As for the notes that she copies, in the drama, she just takes some small notes to help her remember. But in the book, as we've mentioned, because Milan is a time traveler, she took notes using the alphabet. It's hilarious because in the book, Grandma Sheng took a peek at her notes and was like, uh, what are all these mysterious squiggles? If it helps, it helps. But where did she come up with these? That thankfully is omitted here in the drama. Uh, but it is quite cute that Milan still has to take notes to remember everything that Nanny Kong says. All right, and that is it for today's discussion of episode eight and part one of episode nine of Zhifo, Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou, the story of Minglan. I found it very interesting because I think this was the first drama to introduce to me the distinction between the aristocracy versus the merchant class. I never realized how big of a issue that these two classes had against each other. But Gu Tingye's backstory or his mother's story certainly opened my eyes to this conflict. In the next episode, we will see the various skills that Kong Wala teaches the Sheng daughters and what shenanigans that may happen because, as we know, Mo Lan and Wu Lan can't help but fight each other. 
If you have any questions or comments on the show or what was presented in today's episode, please let us know. Thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.